You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you very much, Scott and worship team. Uh, coming together at the last one, uh, minute this morning, they some of these guys had never played together before and then Scott filling in, thank you, beautiful, and thank you, Bella, for the song. I know you're thinking about uh, your sister Callie, who was with the Lord uh, four years ago, very close to this time. Well, uh, welcome to Grace Community Church. If it's your first time, we extend to you a special welcome. Um, all kinds of things going on. We've got one staff member out uh, Filling in for a pastor who is not well in the area. Another one of our pastors not well. There is a possibility of a church potluck later in the month. Just keep uh, your eyes and ears open for that because we will have to have registrations for that. But again, COVID, a lot of things may uh, change that. But that's a possibility. We'll be making uh, more specific announcements later if indeed it gets it comes to pass, I just want you to know, that, so to be ready and jump online, get ahead of the selfish people. If you don't get ahead of the selfish people, you may not get a seat, so you want to be sure to do that. I was a relatively young man when I became a camp director, uh, 24 to be exact. I was too young, in fact, to recognize the danger of such a spiritual leadership post at that age. I think ultimately that the Lord was given testimony uh, to the text that we're going to engage in two weeks toward the end of 1 Corinthians, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And if you think, oh, yeah, right, that's, that wasn't you. If you had known me in high school, you would say, oh, yeah. That text is all about that boy. I, I'm a bit uncomfortable sharing this, lest it strike the wrong chord. But as a young man, most of my ministry peers were older than me. Oftentimes, two to three times as old as I was. And I had been taught to address my elders with Mr. and Mrs. And to defer in matters of conversation and preferences, and with all sorts of seating arrangements. But there was one place where everyone was equal. It didn't matter uh, how old you were, what your social standing was, financial status. It was on the golf course. It's not Mr. Yandel out here, it's Bob. We're all equal out here. They wouldn't say we're all equal, but they said, you call me Bob out here. And then, of course, that breaks the ice, and you become more uh, friends than different age groups. I, I was a decent golfer who might have been better with more playing time, but as it was, my game was adequate to hang with my seniors. And contrary to popular uh, understanding about golf, if you beat people, they respect you. And I could, well, never mind, I'll just go on. Uh, golf was a great equalizer that opened a lot of doors for me as a young man who found himself in a position that was way over his head. 
But fortunately, in our land today, we don't need anything like Goff to unite us with our fellow travelers in, this, in these golden ages, right? I mean, all is unity and politeness. You know for a fact that that is not the case. And around the nation this morning, um, there are plans to disrupt worship services, in fact, because of the apparent uh, decision of the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. So uh, even though we don't anticipate any of that in our service, we do have deacons, elders, staff who are aware of that. Uh, One of the emphases that we are going to encounter repeatedly in our study of 1 Corinthians, both explicit and implicit in Paul's writings, is his lack of concern for what was happening outside of the church. I'm not tying that with what I just said about how there are protests in the church. But he wasn't so concerned about how the world lived its life. What he was concerned about very much was what was going on inside the church. He gave great attention to detail for what was occurring inside the church. So is there anything in Scripture Uh, that is pointed to as a focus of unity for the church that's that's way beyond the Goff-level unity, but much greater? You know the answer. To quote the cliche, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Paul is going to make it abundantly clear Throughout 1 Corinthians, that we're all given different gifts and we have different responsibilities. But no one person is better than another. We are all equal. We are all important in the eyes of the Lord. Furthermore, we are simply built differently for the greater good. We serve one another with our gifts. There is unity to be had at the cross. And is it possible that with our with the influence, the great influence that the culture always exerts over the church, is it possible that we have missed the obvious? As the British would say, precisely. We receive instruction today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 25. Before we read the text, if you're brand new, you probably have already figured this out. But we are just beginning a study in the book of 1 Corinthians. In the first nine verses of chapter 1 that we read last week, Paul described the perfect church. He was describing the way that God views his children in Christ Not the way their lives were pointing to, but the way he sees them in Christ. In today's text, he will immediately begin to identify multiple ways in which the Corinthians were failing to live up to their calling as those who were in Christ and ostensibly united in Christ. With all the sinful activities that Paul will point out, Uh, In his letter to the Corinthians, how interesting that the very first issue he addresses is a lack of unity. Why? When you think about it, a lack of unity 
lays an unstable foundation on which error in both doctrine and behavior can thrive. If, 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 if a radical group wants to take over a nation, what do they do? Destabilize a nation. Try to create chaos everywhere they can in the family. Totalitarian governments always seek to create chaos in families and make family members suspicious of one another. Same thing is true in the church. If there's disunity in the church, all kinds of things, bad things, can happen. A lack of unity is, is the chief issue all the way through the fourth chapter, verse 21, of 1 Corinthians. The more disunity in the body, the less like the Trinity we are. Our chief focus this morning is not so much the disunity, but... The solution to disunity, which is the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 25. It's our custom to stand as the scripture is being read. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. That's not Chloe Ray, by the way. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people. There is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or Cephas is the Apostle Peter. Or, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. Oh, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. One of the greatest gifts we have, isn't it? The word of God. Just imagine if you were in a land where the word of God was, the Bible had been outlawed. It it, it had been made illegal to, to own a Bible. And if you just had one page, how much you would cherish that 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 page the word of god for the people of god thanks be to god so as paul launches into criticism of the disunity that exists in the church his point about baptism when he said god did not call me to baptize but to preach the gospel it's it's not that baptism is unimportant jesus did the same thing in john 4 we we see that jesus went around preaching the kingdom repentance Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then the disciples would do the baptism. He's not saying that baptism is unimportant, but that one should never put ultimate trust in another person instead of Jesus. And the Corinthians were saying, well, Paul baptized me. Yeah, well, Apollos baptized me. It's not the person who baptized you, but the name into whom you were baptized. Paul preached the gospel, at the center of which is Christ crucified. So he begins his long letter of admonishment to the Corinthians by stating that he has heard of the divisions in the Corinth church from Chloe's people. So we're not sure who Chloe was, probably a church member at Corinth. And um, the word that Paul used for reported was a strong word. It indicated far more than, look, this is just hearsay, but in case it's true. No, he had strong evidence, ample evidence to support the claim that came to him that there were divisions. He had anticipated those, in fact. And it was th- this division that was going on there was, was the very thing he had feared. Some followed the Apostle Paul who had established the church in Corinth. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Some followed Apollos, a powerful orator, uh, an apologist uh, for the message of the gospel. And in fact, my best guess for the author of Hebrews, I think it may have been Apollos. No evidence for that for sure, but it fits his style of writing and and speaking. Some followed Peter, the one that the Lord had given a great authority in the early church. And it's likely that Peter had traveled through Corinth. We know that he was crucified ultimately in Rome, but he had traveled through Corinth and likely with his wife. There was one camp that was so spiritual that they followed Jesus. Not with purity of heart, but with the same competitive spirit that afflicted the other camps. Now, there's no evidence that the leaders themselves promoted any of this. Hey, follow me because I can tell you the right way to go. In addition to Stoic and Epicurean philosophers in Corinth, the Stoics were real tight, Epicureans uh, could party. Not all of them did, but no Stoics partied, but Epicureans would party. In addition to those group, there was a group known as the Sophists, and the Sophists exerted enormous influence on the social structure of the city. Sophists, Sophism, 
wisdom. They were people of wisdom. They, they dated to the 5th century BC. And they presented themselves as those who taught young men good critical thinking skills and professional oratory. Think of a screaming Jordan Peterson. That's what the sophists were. It's like, hey, I'll tell you how to live your life. You just listen to me. And everybody else is stupid. And I don't sense that Jordan Peterson is that way. He just, I'm just saying that's the best example maybe. Just imagine camps of those in this city of 100,000 teeming with all kinds of different people. Gregory Lockwood Referencing Bruce Winter, wrote that, quote, the sophists inculcated a seductive art of success, self-help kind of stuff, which Paul saw as antithetical to the word of the cross. The sophists came from society's upper echelons. They were wise, powerful, and well-born, and their movement helped perpetuate their class. They were also known for boastfulness and fierce competitiveness against one another for influence and students, close quote. Dio Chrysostom, who lived in Corinth in the first century, referred to crowds of wretched sophists around Poseidon's temple in Corinth, shouting and reviling one another and fighting with one another. Like gorgeous peacocks, they were lifted aloft, aloft on their wings, uh, on the wings of their fame and their disciples. This, this sounds like a Republican and Democratic convention being held at the same place and people really going at it and just, you're stupid, you're crazy, you're tearing us apart, you're doing this and that. So it makes more sense now, doesn't it? What was going on in the church? In verses 13 to 17, you get the sense that Paul was saying, this is the very thing that I was trying to avoid. I knew there would be temptation to divide into factions, and so I did not baptize all who trusted Christ when I was there. Let some of my associates do it. But it appears my efforts didn't amount to much. <laughs> didn't I tell you not to do this? Jesus does not operate. Jesus' church does not operate in the same manner that the world does. That's the sense you get from Paul. Not that baptism was unimportant, but that the message of the cross is what unites us. And that clever speech should never be used to divide the church. I don't think I could do a better job summarizing the truth of verses 13 to 17, then to share the three points listed in the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. There is only one Messiah. There's only one Messiah. I don't care how good Tim Keller or John Piper or any of the ones that people may be influenced to follow. Paul was not crucified, and thus is the basis of no one's salvation. Believers are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, not in the name of Paul. And Paul was saying, what are you doing? 
don't, don't make this about me. Don't make this about Apollos. It's about Jesus. This is good motivation for any gospel-preaching, gospel-loving church to work through the differences that challenge unity in the body. It will not do to seek, to outthink, to outmaneuver, or to shame those with whom you disagree. Paul ends this section in verse 17 by saying that he was sent to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is not to say that philosophy or rhetoric in and of itself is wrong. Just before Paul got to Corinth, remember, <coughs> he had been at Athens, and he employed, he, he used the philosophers of the, <coughs> of the Greeks to say, let me tell you about God and how <coughs> his fingerprints are everywhere, but the truth ends <coughs> and begins at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So it's not to say philosophy or rhetoric uh, are wrong of themselves, but anything we put at the center other than the cross will immediately throw us off balance. And you know what happens when we get thrown off balance? The cross loses its power. The cross loses its power. That is why, as we will see, God did not allow his wisdom to be discovered through man's wisdom. For then, wisdom would surely become an idol. He's going to say later, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. What does that mean? Well, Paul continues in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So this is the ultimate division in humanity. The ancient world, just like our world, like, like they like to divide people into two camps. There were Gentiles and Jews. There were slaves and free, men and women, barbarians and cultured. It, it, they had all kinds of divisions, and Paul said, this is really the only division that matters. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. <clears throat> those who believe and those who do not. It is not the act of preaching itself that Paul is referencing that is the power of God. But rather, it's the content of the message about Jesus. That's the primary focus. To those who believe, who do not believe, it is the most ridiculous notion ever proposed that a Messiah would die a shameful death at the hands of both religious and political rulers. So it's not just the religious. He's been rejected by everybody that matters. Cicero, the great Roman politician and statesman, um, uh, orator said about 50 years before Christ was born, and this, this sentiment was very much in play during Jesus' time on earth. This is what, what he said. The very word cross should be far removed 
not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. The Romans would crucify people along the road, mass crucifixions, and, but Roman citizens that would walk by would never turn and look. They would just keep moving because it was a shameful thing. So how can the Messiah be attached to one of those crosses? The word of the cross? Folly to unbelievers. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But let's not try to dress it up. Think about it. God put Jesus on the cross. Jürger Moltmann properly warned us that by surrounding the scandal of the cross with roses, we too often forget its ugliness and shame. And it's that word of the cross that is the power of God. Notice that Paul writes in the present tense in verse 18 and says that we are being saved. Now, having written what he did in verse 8 about the Corinthians being presented guiltless before the Lord, in no way is Paul in verse 18 bringing one standing before God into question. He's not trying to make anyone doubt his or her salvation. He is most definitely teaching, though, that the moment we were saved was not the end of God saving us. It was only the beginning. We have not yet arrived at the end of this race that is for Christians so despised by the world. But even so, it is in the message of the cross that we find God's power in our lives. So power... For what? Power to believe the truth. Power to love one another. Power to stand in the face of persecution. To love our enemies. And to proclaim the truth of Christ to those who might be enraged by the message we proclaim. Power to love our wives and to submit to our husbands. And to raise our children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. And power to trust him when life falls apart as it almost inevitably will. Which is why God chose the cross to begin to address the mess of our lives. In the shame of the cross, there is power. It's always been this way. I, I, I'm... I'm I don't even know how to articulate what's floating in my head these days. But I, I see patterns in the scripture all the way from the Old Testament into the Gospels and into the epistles and Revelation. There's just patterns everywhere. In verse 19, Paul uh, points to God's message from Isaiah to the Israelites in which God scoffed at the wisdom of the politicians who sought Israel's protection from one nation by joining with another nation, ended up bringing about the very thing that they were trying to avoid. That happens a lot in life these days, right? Had they trusted in Yahweh instead of going to these other nations without consulting in Him, God's glory would have been seen more clearly through God's people. God's always going to receive glory. 
But do we participate in it? Do we get to participate in it? If we are, it's going to be through the way of the cross. If you were thrilled uh, about a month ago that Elon Musk started making noise about taking over Twitter to protect free speech, are you equally thrilled that he will now pay for Tesla employees to cross state lines so that they can get an abortion? Look, alliances with the world are tricky things. And we live in this place where we're constantly wanting to ally ourselves with those who we think will further a righteous cross. But our hope is not in politics. It's not in smooth speech. It is not in erudition. Our hope is in Jesus. More specifically, in the sacrificial death, Jesus died on the cross. John Stott stated that the cross is the central point of all history. And some of you would say, no, I would beg to differ. I think the resurrection is, well, look, we, we understand the crucifixion and the resurrection as two parts of one event. But we have to recognize the death of Christ is meaningless without the resurrection. I mean, Paul says, is going to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It is equally true, though, that the resurrection pointed and points to a singular type of death, a death unlike any other. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15.3 states, immediately followed by, he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So it's interesting to me that Paul begins his letter to 1 Corinthians talking about the cross of Christ. And then he ends in chapter 15 talking about the resurrection in far more detail than we find anywhere else. But even as he talks about the resurrection, he says the death of Christ was necessary because the first Adam messed up and God had to send the second Adam and then God raised him from the dead, affirming that he accepted his sacrifice. John Stott, once again, in his excellent book, The Cross of Christ, said this, quote, although the apostles emphasized the resurrection. It would be an exaggeration to call their message an exclusively resurrection gospel. In fact, now one of the things that he's, he's getting at here is that if we focus on the resurrection to the exclusion of the cross, then it's very easy to move toward a prosperity gospel. Not saying that you can have one without the other, but, but if you focus on the resurrection Rather than the cross, you can move in the wrong direction. For, he continues, in the nature of the case, the resurrection cannot stand by itself. Since it is a resurrection from death, its significance is determined by the nature of the death. Indeed, the reason for emphasizing the resurrection may be rather to emphasize something about the death which it cancels and conquers, close quote. What was the nature of Jesus' death? He 
being in form of God, left the glories of heaven and took upon him the form of a servant or of a slave. Now think about Paul writing in that ancient world. Big people, sophist, smart, rich, wealthy, slaves. He said Jesus took upon himself the form of a slave. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2 then goes on to say that because of his death, God raised him up and has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The message of the cross makes no sense to any except those who believe. It makes sense to those who were called. We must never seek to modify the message that we preach to a more palatable plan, a more respectable theology of glory in which we make ourselves attractive to God for salvation. Nor should we ever seek, because it's, it's, it's futile, to domesticate the God who sent Jesus and manipulate the message in such a way that we are served by our particular brand of Christianity. So as the world screams at Christians because how dare you, how dare you take away a woman's right to choose. I'm so grateful for the, for the prayer this morning. Uh, my heart goes out to you. And, and how unfair does it seem that women bear the burden of an unwanted pregnancy. My heart goes out to you. If you have chosen to have an abortion. Or if you seriously considered it. But we can't approve it. We all have sins in our past. That we say thank you Lord that you have forgiven me. We must move from those places. So when people. Scream at us. Because we say we. We believe in, in the sanctity of life. We can't say, but you know, you know, it, really? You think it's wrong for two women or two men who love each other to get married? It, as graciously and as gently as we can, we have to say, yeah, that's, that's gospel truth. It's all part, it's not the gospel that's given in 1 Corinthians 15.3, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's all part of God's ways. And we have to be okay saying, yeah, I believe it. No matter what the cost. But they might kill me. Cross. Don't go looking for trouble, but trouble's going to find you. If you proclaim the message of the cross. So once again, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? (laughs) Where is the scribe? Where is the debater? That's what the sophists did. They constantly debated. Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. That's an amazing phrase in truth. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. All right, we know what the Messiah looks like. Give us a sign that you are really who you are. They didn't. They just didn't. They wanted to say, Jesus, you're not the deal. Greeks... Seek wisdom. Interestingly, Jesus was known as Lagos, the word, the word of wisdom. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, three points of application that leave a lot of blanks for you to fill in. First, when you're tempted to think that your way of church, or family life, or school choices, or fill in the blank, is better than others... Look to the cross and die to yourself. It is indeed a tricky thing to stand for your convictions and yet be humble enough to defer and consider others as more important than yourself. We must never allow our Christianity to so resemble the culture that we are kept from exhibiting anything that resembles a cruciform life. We are called to a cruciform or a cross-shaped, a cross-centered life. Don't be so like the culture that they don't see Jesus in you. The remedy for our worldliness is to look to the cross, not only for redemption, but for instruction and how to live, which, after all, Jesus said, is the life of the disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. How many conflicts would quickly resolve in the church, in the home, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, if we lived in the shadow of the cross? I acknowledge it's tricky. I don't know. I don't have an answer. You say, but what about? I don't know. But we start here. Second. Whether you are fearful about witnessing or overconfident about your apologetics presentation, focus on the cross and remember that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Why do we witness? Or why do we not witness? Maybe because we don't feel like we have anything to say that will be respected. 
Just remember, some of the smartest, wisest, most successful people in the land were not won to the Lord by someone just like them, but they were impressed with humble people who just went about their business and believed the gospel. Even if we are scoffed at, if others scoff at us because of the simple message that no one is good enough to please God, it is not our clever presentation that will save others. It is the simple message that God sent his son to die for our sins. We could do nothing about making ourselves right with God. So Jesus took the punishment that we deserved and interestingly had a lot of conversation with different people this past week about, did Jesus suffer in hell after he left the cross? No, Jesus may very well have preached to the spirits in prison. That may be what that means in Second Peter. Um, but when he said, it is finished, it was over. But we have to assume that God, that Jesus experienced the, the equivalent of an eternity in hell on the cross as he died for us. That's what Jesus did. And when we repent of our sins and believe that Jesus died in our place, we will be saved. It is the power of God. And it's not up to us to win other people to Christ, although it is up to us to speak and live the gospel. That's good news. That pressure is off. Last when you are tempted to think that you must prove yourself to God or when you doubt his love for you and sit at the cross and worship. Let's pray. So Mother's Day I know is often extremely painful day for some, for any number of reasons, many of which were covered in the prayer. Thank you, Scott, for sharing that in David's place today. But it's a prayer for, from all of our hearts. Maybe you have failed spectacularly this past week. Maybe you wonder... If God can still love you, the cross is limitless, boundless. Maybe you feel like you're just not good enough. Look, <laughs> look to the cross. Sit at the foot of the cross. And worship. Father, we thank you for this message that surely appears or sounds discordant to the world. It makes no sense until you believe. And so, Lord, if there are those here this morning who don't believe, may you put in their hearts a strong desire to call out for forgiveness of sins and, 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 and for faith to believe that Jesus died for them. And Lord, uh, for those of us who are very 
far along into our relationship with you and our walk with you. There are all kinds of things that come to our hearts and minds that confuse us and, 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 and befuddle us. May we just sit at the cross and worship Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.